So what a what an honor it is to be able to still come together in in this manner and and praise and sing praises to Jesus. Um, I know earlier this week, Desert Christian got a hold of me and said, um, "Oh, by the way, you know it's banned." I said, "We know. We were we're planning to meet outdoors, and they were actually." The communication I got back, they were all for it. They were excited to see that we were going to be able to keep meat. And I don't know how many of you, one thing we should probably do is just pray for other churches too. The really large ones. I mean, I was watching like the ones I told everyone to watch Foothill while we were in pure lockdown and, and couldn't go anywhere. They, they seem to be struggling. I mean, last week they didn't have any songs or anything. They just went right into a worship and uh, behind closed doors. And I know we were talking because Roseanne Hatcher, the woman we're praying for that, you know, battled breast cancer and then lost her husband to a brain tumor. And, and uh, we were talking to her and the church she goes to, one of the pastors is just missing. He's just like, no, I'm checked out. I'm, I'm done. And uh, so I went back. I've been watching to see if he pops up haven't seen him. So it's, it's a tough time. Um, I think Satan really loves this and really loves the fact that he's going to use politicians to try and really test. But I think what it shows is where is your heart really? If, if something like this is going to cause you to, to uh, panic and get locked up and, and not trust that God is sovereign and you'll be protected, I think it, it speaks to more about you and your faith and, and kind of exposes that. And I want to encourage you to stay strong during this time. I mean, it was no mistake God took us through Zechariah. I mean, he has been so faithful to us in many ways. So here we went through Zechariah, and we got to see how this world is going to end and where we're going to be and how we're just going to have just an incredible time. And then it's no mistake, folks, that God has us in Ephesians right now and is emphasizing, emphasizing um, peace and unity. And again, I'm going to say it. He has been so faithful to us during this time. And where we see America going and with churches, right? And, you know, not banning, you know, you know outlaws, but trying to ban the church, maybe... After Isaiah, we should take a quick trip through Revelation, or before Isaiah, and, and really encourage us. But again, right now, it's a great time to be in Ephesians. We know, and so it's a good time for us to go through this, Paul was under great hardship when he penned this letter to the church. So we need to read, we need to reread, and we need to really understand everything Paul is trying to get out and get to us as believers in this letter. And so, have you ever thought, okay, how did it go for the Ephesians? I mean, once this letter was done, how did the church survive? How did they move forward? You know, where did they wind up? Well, you know we get a glimpse of this, right? In Revelation chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 2, John, the Apostle John, a former pastor in the church of Ephesus, um, just tells us that the Ephesians did very well for over 40 years. 
they hated evil, and they really looked and they really evaluated those that claimed to be leaders. The body exercised discernment and was faithful to Jesus in both difficulty and persecution. Sound familiar? It does. And just wait. What we're going through now is just a little bit of difficulty. Folks, the persecution's coming. It's coming. We've talked about that almost since the start of Soma, but I didn't think, I thought it would be maybe when your youngest ones are adults. I didn't realize it's going to happen so soon that they're really going to come after us as believers. But to me, it's a time just to sit there as believers and say, what God has in his word, we're getting to see a turning point in humanity. Um, I realize probably many other times, like during the Reformation, when they were actually taking people that believed like we did and burning them on a stake, they may have thought, okay, the end is coming. But uh, I really think we're seeing a lot more lining up, folks. I really do. Not to be a gloom and doom or thing, but it's a time to sit there and enjoy this time, enjoy this time in your word, and knowing that your faith is greater than what's out there. Your God is greater than what's out there pushing on you. And so you get to see this time in history and, and use it. Build up your hope and be ready not to chant against the government, but chant for Jesus. Now, back to the, the Ephesians church. Eventually it says, this church lost its zeal for Jesus. It seems like they fell into a cold, mechanical type of faith where, you know, they showed up on Sundays and then the rest of the week they went through their week and, and, and had that list of excuses for why Jesus wasn't important. But even it says with this cold, repetitive walk, they were still able to discern um, heresy. It says in 2.6 that they hated the Nicolaitans. And, and this group and this man that starred this was mentioned in Acts 6. Um, this man became a deacon and later became an apostate in the church and led a group into immorality. So may we as a body be strengthened and we never to fall into this type of walk. So today we're going to look a little further into the teachings of this book. Side note, not as many as I wanted. Last Sunday I put a note out saying, hey, we're going to get through 4, 1 through 16. By Thursday night it was, well, maybe we'll go 1 through 8. Then yesterday it was like, okay, maybe 1 through 6. Maybe 1 through 6 as I'm going through this. Because I don't think any of you wanted to be out here for close to 2 hours. Um, maybe you did, I'm sorry. I realized that it was going to be a long, long message. Okay, and... Last week, we went through a part of chapter 2, and then we covered all of chapter 3. Today, the way chapter 4 starts, it starts with this word, therefore. I seem to be getting a lot of those in Ephesians, the therefores. So what that means is, therefore, we're going to do a recap. And we're not going to do a recap 
of um, just the previous section in three, or all of three. We're going to start with the recap of all of Ephesians and go through and take a look at that. But before we get started, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to pray before the message here. But before we do, I want, I'm going to be silent. And I want you to take a time and use this time with your eyes closed. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to search inside you. And I want you to evaluate your walk. Um, are you a believer, like we just talked about, that has good head knowledge? And it's really rough during the week. Like I said before, you're not waking up and, and with a chance to say, great, I'm going to get to meet with Jesus today and go through his word and talk to him at whatever time you have appointed. If that's not happening, I want you to take some time and communicate with God in this. And I want you to have your heart broken. I'm going to be up here praying for that, that your heart is broken. Um, use it to ask God for forgiveness, for renewal. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit during this time. And then... Whatever time you have, make sure it is your smartphone, a note on the mirror, um, Alexa, whatever it is that you use to take that time and meet with the Lord every day. Gain strength. Grow in Christ. It's going to be so important, folks. We need a strong body here. We need a strong body. I already feel we're like Gideon as we go through this. And I know we've gotten smaller, but it's not to... It's not, it hasn't been a detriment to us. When we think of some of the people that have left, it's like, oh my good Lord, you took these people out before they became very weird. So um, I, I'm just thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. But the ones that remain, God is not going to grow us until our, our walk is a lot stronger and we are reaching out to others and discipling them and bringing them forward, then our body will grow in a healthy growth. It won't be like some of the churches I've mentioned that the first sign of trouble, and then they had two services going on, now they barely have one. So it's like, where that was just a numbers game. That was just a social gathering. We want people that are in their word, studying, praying, and coming here to equip and be equipped and edify each other. So, let's pray. Jesus, may we, may we have really evaluated and spoke to you. And Holy Spirit, may you bear witness of our walk, but we know. So may we just desire to have a, that better relationship, even if we had a strong one, Father. We know it can be so much better. We thank you 
so much for the Trinity. We thank you so much for what it means in our life and oh, what it's going to mean for us when this life's over. We thank you so much for your promises, for your faithfulness, and then thank you for this letter, this wonderful letter to the Ephesian church that also speaks to us. Holy Spirit, just coming as the song we sang earlier said, fill this place. Just make this be your message like you made Ephesians your message to the believers in that church and even to us today. We just thank you so much, so much for you being here and just fill us, Father. Amen. So the passage we're going over today is 4, 1 through 6. And Paul writes, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And therefore, like I said earlier, it sends us not just back to chapter 3, but it sends us all the way back to the previous parts of Ephesians. So we're going to do a quick review of what we came through in Ephesians so far. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, 15, 14, we see we have been blessed already with all spiritual blessings by the work of the Trinity. Remember, we talked about in the introduction, you're going to see a lot of the Trinity mentioned in Ephesians. And then being blessed... Spiritual blessing by the work of the Trinity. Now the Father selected us, the Son redeemed us, and then we have been sealed for this redemption by the Holy Spirit. And never let those just be words in your, that you hear. Never let those be heard. May you memorize that understanding and rely on it, especially during these times. May it provide you comfort and most of all, strength. Now in 1, 15 through 23, Paul wants us to know God. And, and he wants us to know the hope of his calling, our glorious inheritance, and again, the power that is available for all who believe. That power is already there. In two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we have God's gift of grace to the unforgiven that we now have. We are called and forgiven through God and we have this place waiting for us in heaven. That's just got to tickle your heart whenever you stop and think about that. That that is just waiting for you. It's not one of those places you get there and they say, sorry, your reservation, I know you made it, but we're all full. There's a Motel 6 just down the road. That's not going to happen, folks. You have a place waiting for you. Now, 2.11 through 
this call, this call that we have moves us, we see it moves us from being an individual into being into a union with different people and those different people are extreme as the Jews and everyone else. And everyone else we know are called Gentiles. And we are now one. We make up the body that's called the church. Now, interesting, I'll point out that the name Soma means body. But our full name, our full name, Soma Community Church, means body, body, body. Remember what I, I always said, if you see something real quick three times, it's of absolute importance by God. So, you know, here we are in Ephesians, this church is named Body, 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 and we're talking about strength in the body. Now in 3, 14 through 21, Paul prayed for the church to be strengthened by God's love in order that the union, our union that we're in, would be biblically sound, and the experience of this union would be demonstrated by the love of Christ. Now with all that background, Paul prays that we see this individual calling that draws us into a body of believers, cause us to walk in a manner that is worthy, that is worthy of the call we've got. Now in 4.1 further it says urge, urge, or what we can use there is exhort. Urge does not just mean a sense of urgency. Paul is demonstrating in his talk here the authority it has, he, he has through Christ Jesus as an apostle and also as a former pastor in their church. So he's not begging here. He's not begging whatsoever. He is telling us to walk in this manner and he's doing it with full authority that he has. Now, some of your Bibles may say, beseech, beg, entreat, and even like urge, like the ESV does. Those can be considered correct, but they're just a little too mild, folks. Exhort is what we actually see here, exhorting you. So, again, Paul's not asking us to do him a favor. He's not asking to give him a solid. He is, with full authority, exhorting the people he loves to understand this gift that we have from the Trinity and to respond properly to it. He says in verse 1 still, prisoner for the Lord, or it's better said, prisoner in the Lord. Now this is similar to what we saw Al bring us in, in the beginning of chapter 3 last week when he said, Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Here, he says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. But there are two differences between the two sayings. Number one, he uses Lord instead of Christ Jesus. And then two, he uses in the Lord instead of of Christ Jesus. In the Lord refers to being in Christ and not a God. Now think about that. In the Old Testament, we always would have seen of God. Now, in the New Testament, 
we're seeing in Christ Jesus. Uh, and we see this all through Ephesians. This term is used all through Ephesians, like 2.21. Later in verse 4.17. We're going to see it in a couple weeks in 5.8. Also three times in chapter 6. And this phrase and the use of it shows this union with Christ. In 3.1, it shows it was for the cause of Christ that made Paul a prisoner. In chapter 4, we see that in this present context, Paul is demonstrating his union with Christ. This is why this, this Jew among Jews became a missionary to the Gentiles. If you would have asked him before if he ever would have ministered to Gentiles, he would have told you, surely not. But he gave himself up totally to be obedient to Christ, and he's demonstrating his full obedience to him. So what we can say is, unlike most of us today, Paul didn't receive this gift of salvation, then start a lackluster life as a believer, and only showing up the temples on major festival days in order to keep his wife from, from jumping on him too much. Instead, he jumped in full force, and so he was never married, jumped in full force and, and just obeyed God. So continuing in verse 1, a walk worthy of the calling, a walk worthy of the calling. Now, we see the word call used three times in Ephesians, and out of that, we're going to see it used twice in this passage that we're covering today. The cool part is, is what it's linked to. What this word's linked to is it's linked to election and it's linked to adoption by the Father and this believer's union into one body that we know as the church. And in this context, Paul is referring to our lifestyle. We need to ensure our lifestyle in this Christian faith, in this walk, does not look similar to what the world's doing. And there must be a change. There must be a change in our lifestyle from pre-salvation to post. And Paul uses this word five times in all of his writings. And it's only used once by somebody else, and that was the Apostle John in 3 John. We see Paul use it in Philippians 1.27. He uses it in Philippians 1.27. A beautiful verse here that describes our union with Christ and each other by this example of our walk. Let me read it to you. Philippians 1.27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this tells us we are united and walking in the same manner, whether we are together or whether we're apart. We're walking in this same faith. And what a pre precious picture God is showing us here. 
that there is unity among believers even when we're apart. And in 4.1, we see that even Paul, in his present predicament, being in prison, his concern is for believers. And his concern is not just for them, but it's for their walk and that they're being worthy with this walk before God. Now, into verse 2. Into verse 2, we see, with all humility and gentleness, bearing with one another in love. So verse 2, just with all humility and gentleness. Paul doesn't just use these words, but he uses them as imperatives. Or, you know, he's letting us know these words are essential, to use a current phrase. These are essential to our walk. The quality of our walk is clearly, folks, it is clearly defined by these two behaviors. The word humility, so you know, did not exist in the Old Testament but it started in the New Testament. And it's used five times by Paul, and then one each by Peter and by Dr. Luke. It is the opposite. It's the opposite of self-seeking. It means a lowless of mind. Now, you've got to remember, in this culture, in this culture, humility was not considered a virtue. If you know about the Asian culture, it is honor-based. It is strictly honor-based. And that's not just the Orient Asians, it's all of Asia. All of it. And you're saying, what does that mean? Well, we have India, and we have also the Middle East. Very honor-based. Who your families are, what was their past, did they maintain honor? So, to be thought of well, your family's name had to be linked with that honor. So you can imagine how well humility went with this time period. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And it's a hard concept for everyone. Worldly authors around this time, worldly authors <laughs> considered this trait not to be commended. It's like, you don't have humility. So we see in Acts 20, verse 19, Paul's writing to the Ephesian elders. He is no longer there, and he's going to meet with them. But like Paul and like Al shared with us, because of the harbor there, the ship Paul was on could not dock in Ephesians. So he had the elders come to him. And as he wrote to them, he said, Remember them, when we got together, I spoke to you with all humility. So what about gentleness? What does it mean? That great Southern Baptist pastor, Aristotle? Okay, everyone's tracking. I see smiles. No, he wasn't a Southern Baptist pastor. Aristotle, who was a contemporary at this time, called this word that Paul used for gentleness, he called it the middle ground between excessive anger and then never being angry. And so... We need a perfect example to show us what this word means. And this perfect example, I would say, is Jesus, right? Here we have this man, humble but not weak. And he displayed great patience with the young men he lived with. 
I don't know if you ever stopped and thought about that, but here you have God in flesh. You have God in flesh walking around with a bunch of young men who have completely not understanding what your ultimate goal is. In their mind, you're bringing in a kingdom now. And they're trying to divvy up what their role is going to be. Secretary of State, Department of Homeland Security. They're trying to figure out what their role is going to be. But Jesus is like, ah, how do I survive this? Um, but when he saw, and we got to see his anger on display, because remember, when he saw what the Jews had done to his father's house, this house of prayer, he properly displayed anger. So only the person that's controlled by the Holy Spirit can truly be gentle. And they are angry at the right time, and they're never angry at the wrong time. Now, when this person is angry, this person in the Spirit, they do not come unhinged or seek revenge or announce to everyone around them they've been done wrong and they're going to seek revenge. But when one of their brothers or sisters in the faith is wrong, then they address the situation. So if we take a deeper look into the makeup of the church of Ephesus, you would see many great differences like we've talked about. And I will continue to hammer home what a strange lot this was that got together. So you understand that Paul writing about peace and unity was incredible because you had such differences in culture coming together. You had the Jews, like we talked about, that their way of lifestyle probably offended everybody. And then the Jews were probably offended by the way everyone else lived. But now here they are as believers in one union, all having different dietary, different beliefs, traditions. They're all trying to wrap their heads around and see how this works in their new Christian walk. So, you know, these Jews, these new Christian believers, they're probably struggling because here they have this lifelong his traditions of what to do, when to wash, when not to wash, when to get together, what is dirty, what is clean, can I have pork rinds? Can I not have pork rinds? I mean, there was all these things that were going on. And then you have us Gentiles in the mix. We're like a mixed bag of nuts on top of them with everything that these people around this time, when it would, now we think about Thessalonians, we learn more about Thessalonians, how there was different camps of different cultures all just outside the city. I mean, we think we're pretty diverse with, with everyone that's come to America. There is diverse and serious cultures going on all around there. Now, all this is tied together in one body. This had to be bizarre. It had to be bizarre. And through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, they had peace and unity. Amazing. Amazing. And then, to end this section, the word all, what it means is to the fullest extent. It doesn't mean to your fullest extent. It means to the fullest extent. It is beyond you. It doesn't mean what you feel you can handle. It is to the fullest extent. So the believer is to walk with all humility 
and gentleness and with all patience. That's how we're supposed to walk, folks. Patience is that third characteristic on our walk of conforming to what Jesus has for us. And you've got to love the example of this word that's used for patience. The word used here for patience, the way the Holy Spirit wants you to understand the word, picture this. Because we see this all through the Old Testament. We see this. When a city is being under siege by its enemies, the enemy is all around them. They're coming for one thing. That one thing only is to destroy the city and take the people, take their goods, take the best of the best back to their land. So here's the picture. Imagine you're in this city. Your city's under siege. And the word used here for patience is that person that goes ahead and decides to plant a garden while this is happening. And they're waiting for that garden to grow something like turnips so they can eat. That should blow your mind when you think about patience. With the world's going crazy, you know, everything's about to be upended. Here you have Mr. Miyagi sitting there with his chopsticks waiting to have something to eat. So it's crazy, folks. That is the word for patience to get here. If you're ever wondering what it means, that's it. When a world going crazy, you're sitting there. So the best example I can come up in our modern time is, is those Snicker bars commercials. You're going to be here a while? You're not going anywhere? Have a Snickers. At least that can cause you a distraction while you eat it because you're not going anywhere fast. And I thought those just came out a little while ago. Oh, my. Those came out 24 years ago. I, I just felt real old real quick when I was seeing that. And patience is hard. Because if you look at the world we live in, everything must happen, and it must happen now, right? I think of back when I was growing up, going back to the Dark Ages, we survived on a regular oven and a cooktop. We did. And later, we survived with dial-up internet. And, and then remember, those of you that are around my age, it was, it was revolutionary when this one thing came out called Jiffy Pop. Wow, this thing was great because it was self-contained. You could take it and put it on a campfire. You could put it on your cooktop and you had popcorn. You didn't have to get out that thing that you stuck in the fireplace or, or any other weird contraption. That was the best. But that was the best. But now, after all these years of, of progress, we have microwaves and 4G, and guess what? They're still too slow. They are still, microwaves drive me crazy because they take too long. And uh, I didn't grow up this way. So, for the believer, for the believer, patience is that cautious endurance that does not abandon hope. And we, as believers, we have to have hope. We have to have this. Since we know our prayers may not be immediately answered, right? But we know we're going to keep praying them. 
How many of you could, could stand up and tell me a story of someone that you prayed for one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and then saw them come to know the Lord? Amazing, amazing. And I know they're here and here. And I know we're still praying for a lot of other people in this way. Still praying. So you need that patience and you need that hope. We see people new in the faith and we see our own kids maturing. And the key is not to be frustrated. They're not going to be at our level yet. They're not going to be where God wants them yet. But we understand God is at work at their lives, right? God is at work at their lives. And our prayer is that God is faithful to continue working on them. He needs to be, he will be. We need to have the patience and hope. God is working on their lives. We just need to keep lifting him up before him. And we see that in the parable, parable, parable of um, the, the widow and the wicked judge, how she went to him every day. And God says, I am so much better than this wicked judge. Bring me your prayer requests every day. And then to continue on in verse 2, it says, Forbearing with one another in love. Forbearing with one another in love. To endure. To endure. You get a picture of this when you see how God endured with the Israelites and their vain offerings given to them in Isaiah 113. Basically, he tells them, I cannot bear the constant sin in your life and your pretense of solemn behavior. Jesus used this same type of language when he asked, how long should I bear with you disciples? So we can look at this as saying the believers' differences, their differences are to be tolerated. And in love, and in love, explains how they're to be tolerated. This is not a possessive love. This is not a possessive love. This is a giving love. So we endure with each other with a giving love. And you ask, what is this giving love? Am I, am I going to be making brownies and delivering to you, Bill? Maybe, but it's not. It's a love that seeks the highest good in the one that is loved. Think about that. If you have this giving love, you're seeking the highest good in the ones you love. You are not tearing them down because they do not fit your model or your expectations. But you know that they are a child of God and He is working on them and you are prayerfully desiring to see that in your lifetime, but praying that it happens. Just like love, you're loving this with nothing in return. Now, imagine how tough it was for the Gentiles and the Jews to love one another. It was like mixing oil with and water and having it not separate but having it become homogenous. And folks, this was only accomplished by the Holy Spirit, both individually in people and corporately through prayers. 
Now continue on with verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a great word for thinking who wrote this. Eager or zealous. This is a great Paul word because he was zealous basically in everything he did. So this, this eager to maintain, it's not making something new, but it's making every effort to keep this unity already in place by the Spirit. Spirit. And unity is not brought about by humans. And even looking at the news today, it's so self-evident. Humans do not bring around unity. People and politicians will team up because they're teaming up knowing they're going to get exactly what they wanted out of the situation. Now, the only one that can bring about true unity is the Holy Spirit. In the bond of peace. Now, this is, this is really cool as you go through the Bible. Because in the Old Testament, you see the word bond used to describe making a building sound. Bond in the Old Testament was making a building sound. Here we have in the New Testament, seen in Colossians 2.19, that same word used to describe knitting the body together. Something like what ligaments do. So, did you see that change? That can combine to sneak right by it, but it's pretty cool. Because here we have in the Old Testament, what was the worship? The worship was the temple. So we see this word bond mean keeping the building together. Now we see the body of Christ in the New Testament. So this word talks about securing and bonding in the body. It's incredible. Peace is used eight times in this letter, and this is the fifth time we've seen it so far. It is the peace between believers. Believers are to make every effort to preserve the unity which comes from the Holy Spirit. The unity is portrayed by this bond between these two extreme groups, the Jews and the Gentile. And if God could bring them together, as vastly different as they were, we should be easy. But we're all sinners. So Paul wants to preserve and protect the unity, not to seek, he wants us to protect and preserve the unity. Not to seek our own way or seek our own needs, but at all costs, preserve unity. Now we're going to move on to 4 and 6, and we're going to see the elements of this unity that's centered on the Trinity. 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love that. Um, that could be a hymn, right? In fact, there are some people that think this was like a doxology or a hymn. And it's, it's pretty close to what we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 6. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 6, and which also teaches on the Trinity. It says, 
it says, and this is more like the spoken word, not, the, not a song. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And, and the reason this could be considered going into a, a hymn or a doxology is Paul doesn't skip a beat. If you look how three ends and how four goes into it, there's no conjunction. Schoolhouse Rock would have written him a letter and said, what is going on? You have no conjunction here. What's the function? Um, he goes right from peace into teaching about the triune God. And the interesting thing here, again, like we talked about the Old Testament temple, New Testament body, Paul goes right into using seven uses of the word one in here, emphasizing unity by the Trinity and one body. One body is the new idea in this first century. This term, new, one body, is a brand new. So, if you caught it, the seven uses of the word one is pretty cool because it's describing the Trinity and seven is the number of what? Perfection, describing God. So cool. So let's go through these seven uses of the word one to describe the Trinity. First is we have the one body. Next we have the one spirit and that means the Holy Spirit. One hope. One hope. This is the eager expectation of God's plan. So we, we have gone from no hope in our lives, no access to God, to now having hope and being reconciled to God. Next, the fourth use of the word one, Lord. And, and that's describing Christ who provided the redemption. Fifth, Fifth is the one faith, the exercising faith. We have heard the calling, trusted God, and now we obey. Six, one baptism. This is the symbolism of our death and resurrection. And we see this, we see this in Mark 10, 38 and 39. And to set up where we're at, to set up where we're at. Remember I talked about Jesus having to endure with patience with, with these disciples. So here you have the sons of thunder, James and John, and they're figuring, hey, Christ will be in the Jerusalem soon. He will set up his earthly kingdom. And the mom is involved. And the mom's saying, you're the best sons ever. You're the best disciples ever. You should be sitting on one on the left of Jesus and one on the right. So they come to him and suggest this with no doubt the mom watching and waiting to see a yes from Jesus. But he said to them in this section, you do not know what you're asking. You have no idea. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I'm going to be baptized. And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, 
the cup that I drink, you will be, you will drink. It'd be cool if he would have said, and James, you're going to be the first, but he didn't. He said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am going to be baptized, you will. Now, it's interesting. They wanted to be cornerstones on Jesus, one on the left and one on the right. They wound up being cornerstones of the apostles' death, right? James went first. John was the last one. So here, it talks about what this symbolism is of baptized, of being baptized. And there is one unity in our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we place our faith. And we express this faith outwardly when we get publicly baptized, right? We are acknowledging His death and for us and then our resurrection only because of Him. Only because of Him. So now in conclusion, we want to look at two things. We're going to look at the Trinity. The Trinity is an integral part of unity. The one body is brought on and held together by the Spirit. So all believers have the one hope. The one body is united to the one Lord by each member's act of faith and our identity with Him in the one baptism. And the one God, the Father, is supreme over all and operates through and resides in all. So, all seven components of that word one we went through are uniting us in the Trinity. And the triune God is the center and the model for unity. And then two, I want you to notice something else here. Something else we've probably never done except when we've read this. And we may have not caught it because I knew it was new to me. I was like, God, I tell people to watch the Bible, to listen to it, read it because it's so cool. It does all the things I mentioned. And then hear what it did. Did you see what Paul did? Paul started. When you think of how you say the Trinity, how do you say it? You go God, Son, Spirit. What does Paul do here? Paul goes Spirit, Son, Father. And why does he do that? It's, uh, it's probably because he's looking at the unity from who starts and who does it, the Spirit, and working back to God. And then if you noticed, the section I read you in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, through 6, discusses the gifts of the Trinity, and it starts, again, with the Spirit. And it goes in the reverse order. So you can say Paul is working in reverse, working back to the ultimate source of that power and bringing it to the Father in the end. So at the beginning of the message, I asked you a question. I asked you, where were you in this walk? And with what we've gone through, we see how important it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be very important going forward. So where are you? Are you walking daily 
with, with the Trinity? Are you seeking the Spirit in the morning and having that time of fellowship with the Word He worked through human authors to put together? Are you in full displayment of the gifts we talked about, this humility, this gentleness, this patience, are they evident in your life? And are they evident with how you deal with others and especially with other believers? Do other believers see you coming to them and you see their shoulders go up as they're getting tense because they know you're going to come talk to them and unload about somebody else? Or are they arms open wanting to come hear about you and hear how it's going? And do you love the body greatly? And are you seeking to preserve its unity? Now, if it didn't go so well in your evaluation, don't worry. We all have our times like that. What I need you to do, though, is, is just ask for prayer. Ask who you can walk alongside of. Um, fill out a card. And if you only want Al and myself to see it in the beginning, just mark that box. But like Paul said, let me exhort you all today to, to make and seek this full fellowship with the Trinity and not holding back, not holding on because you love what you're feeling when you go into this other part, these gifts that you haven't let go. But I want you to make sure for the sake of your own strength and the so sake of Soma that you are growing stronger and you line up with the commands that God has for us. So let's pray. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for how you worked through Paul to write this letter. Jesus, we, we will never forget the story of Paul and what it means that you had this this Jew among Jews, this, this man zealot for his Jewish faith. And he was on the road to prove his zealousness and, and punish, imprison, and even kill Christians. He was not seeking you in the slightest. He was not seeking you, Jesus. And his heart changed that day. His heart changed that day. We thank you for this book of love, this book of peace, and this book of unity that you've given us. And we just thank you so much that we can go through it. And I thank you for this body of believers, this unity that we have, that we love one another so much, that we're, and we love you, Jesus, that we're going to come together, be obedient to you in corporate worship, and just seek to give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the worship. Amen.